the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Kind of a cloudy day with some sun coming through off and on. Might get a shower. 94 for the high, down to 71 tonight. Thunder shower, two may roll through. Tomorrow, good deal of sun. High 98. We've seen this story before. However, mid to upper 80s looks like the deal from Wednesday through Friday. So a little improvement there. Phillies had a nice win, 13-3 over the Cubs last night. Five different players hit a home run, including Reese Hoskins, who was asked after the game about the fact that the team is getting healthy and uh, they're starting to produce and his thoughts on the uh, the lineup. Totally. You know, we've kind of been waiting for everybody to get healthy. One guy would come back, another guy would go down. I think you can just kind of see the depth and the length of the lineup, right? All of a sudden you have, you know, I'm hitting a little bit further down and you have Didi, Didi hit fifth today, hit seventh yesterday. You know, you have a guy that was third in the rookie of the year last year, hitting eighth. So there's just length. And that wears on opposing pitchers. Each one of us, I think, has the ability to pop you, too. Um, so there's always a little bit of fear, too. And I think tonight, you know, we kind of got it from everybody. But the design of the lineup has, you know, there, there's the ability where someone new gets to be the guy every single night. Um, obviously, we'll rely on our horses, but that's what a, what a deep lineup gives you. Uh, Hoskins had his 19th home run of the year last night. They play again this evening. Aaron Noll on the mound for the Phillies against Jake Arrieta, who pitched for the Phillies for a few seasons. First pitch at 8.05. Also tonight, the NBA Finals start this evening. My, uh, Milwaukee Bucks and Phoenix Suns, two teams you don't hear in the Finals very often. It's been a, a half a century since either of them have been in there. Actually, only Milwaukee's been in the Finals before, and the Phoenix Suns in 53 years have never been in the Finals. So if you're one of those who likes an underdog, and you're like, well, somebody's got to win a championship here, and they're both very good teams, this is the series to check out. We have a brief break, then a very special show planned. Uh, Kurt Menefee, who's speaking of sports, host of NFL Fox Sunday for many years, Terry Bradshaw and the group uh, for I don't know, 15, 20 years now. He's going to be joining us in conjunction with the program that he hosts called America's Top Dog, which is on A&E tonight. There's another program he also is a host of, brand new, that debuts this evening. We'll talk about that. We also have attorney Jim Radmore joining us. He's been on the radio station for many years advertising and I give him, want to give him a call and then talk with him about the work he does and get some insight, including into that Supreme Court case you've heard uh, him, you know, in the commercial talk about how he's uh, even uh, won a case with the Supreme Court. So we'll talk with Attorney Jim Radmore as well. And during the program, if you want to text in, because it's one of those hot days again, we'll give you a gift card to Duncan, Rita's, Panera, or Wawa to cool down. Just uh, text me at 610-500-DOVE. 610-500-3683. Tim DeMoss show. Just need your name, address, and zip in there. Guaranteed win if you get yourself texted in before 5 o'clock. 
one per household, and you can't have one in the past month. That's the only other restriction. More to come. Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It's 406 in the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Bringing on board a special guest. You'll know him from Fox NFL Sunday Countdown and uh, the program America's Top Dog, which is uh, entering season two this evening on A&E. Kurt Menefee joining our program. How you doing, sir? All right. How are you doing? Wonderful. Congratulations on another uh, season of America's Top Dog. Pretty cool. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Take a second, if you would, just lay out the basics. Folks who have not seen the show, how's it work in general? Well, the simplest way to explain it is probably it's American Ninja Warrior with dogs. <laughs> You've got a giant obstacle course in the middle of the desert, um, but these dogs have to compete. You know, it's all timed events with the handlers. Uh, from start to finish, and we see everything from, you know, having to climb stairs and knocking over 100-pound obstacles, swimming through water, um, you know, crossing different bridges that, that, that animals, that dogs have uh, trouble with uh, because it shakes and it's not stable. But you see a, a large variety of things that happen on the course, and each dog has to run the same course. And we have one instance where we have a 13-pound dog going against a 100-pound dog, and they have to do the same obstacles, the same course, and it's all timed. And it's just, you know, fun from start to finish. It's it's a race. Yeah. And that's really what it is. We get to see that. Um, And at the end of each episode, the winner gets $10,000 plus $5,000 donated to the animal charity of their choice. That's great. And they get to come back for the season finale to crown America. $25,000 going to the winner and that animal charity donation. It's a good time for good causes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, And to what extent do the contestants uh, know anything about the course at all? Are they are they preparing blindly, or do they have some general idea of what they're going to be in, in store for when they do go on the show? Well, I think this year people have more of an idea because, you know, they're season one. So they, they have a big picture premise. But once they get selected for the show and, and the episode that they're on, they get to come out the day before. Uh, we shot in California. And they get to run the course once on the day before because you want to, you know, you want the dog to be familiar with it, yeah. but also the, the handler. I mean, you don't want people, one, to get lost. Well, more importantly, you don't want anybody to get injured. Right. And you don't want them to get lost because you want them to have the best opportunity they can. So they get to go out and they get to see it, they get to do it, but everybody gets to run it the day before. Uh, and then, you know, they get to go out and see it again. They don't get to run it the, the day that they do the competition, but everybody's familiar with it. And so we have uh, experts on, on hand to make sure everybody goes through it with them. They show them what you need to do at each obstacle at each point. And so, yes, yeah, so there's some familiarity that goes along with it. How do you personally prepare for the show as far as, you know, hosting and, and the commentary and everything? It, you know, for me, it, it's almost like doing a game. I mean, because it's a sporting event. Once it, it, a race starts, you're just calling the races it happens. You know, it's dogs and, instead of, uh, you know, people and, and passes. But I think that one of the things that happened this year is David Koechner, uh, who's a comedian and, and most people probably know from the Anchorman movie series. He played Champ, the caster, and he's been in many movies and TV shows. You know, he brings a little levity to the show. To the show. Uh, and so I, I'm able to just kind of call in as a play-by-play guy would from a, a, a football game or a basketball game almost, and then let him kind of come in and, and have some fun with the dogs and, and the things they do because – Anyone who's had a pet knows that you know 99 times out of 100, you tell it to do something, it'll do it. The one time you try and show it off to someone, it's the time it does it. So sometimes under these lights and, and cameras and stuff, a dog may need a potty break or a dog may decide, ah, I'm done with this course and, and goes in a different direction. And so you need to have some fun with that without making fun of the dog. 
but having fun with the dog, and David's able to do that. But I think the preparation is really just like calling a sporting event and doing it because I think you just want to have a good time. You just want to laugh and, and, and enjoy it, and I think that's the point that we take. We try to make sure that it, it's a joyous moment, good or bad, fast time or slow time. You know, the dog did it, and if you have a dog at home, you know, sometimes just getting your dog to finish something is as much a reward as getting it to do it in a timely manner. Absolutely. You know, and I won't tip. I've seen episodes one and two. I won't tip what happens with two, only to reference the fact that there is someone from Pennsylvania competing in the show tonight. How do various dogs qualify for the show? Is there, is there an official process, or how does that happen? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a submission process. If you go on the website and uh, on their YouTube page, et cetera, as to how you can send in you know, your videotape and your information about your dog. And, you know, it started out with season one, which was last year, obviously, um, where they wound up going around the country and, you know, it was uh, finding police canines. They have competitions that they do, and there are all these sporting competitions for dogs. And so it was more of a recruitment process in year one. In year two, because the show had aired, then they got so many submissions that it made it easier because people were coming to us about, hey, my dog has done this, my dog can do this. And again, you know, we wanted the different categories, but there are enough different organizations that know about the show now that it made it much easier to kind of, you know, find dogs this year, Yeah, to be honest. That's great. Uh, Kurt, I know you're talking to a lot of folks today. So America's Top Dog Season 2, 8 o'clock Eastern tonight, debuted last week. Just take a second as we wrap up. An Animal Saved My Life, which debuts tonight with a double episode thing at 9. What the backstory for that and your thoughts on it? It, it follows back-to-back with America's Top Dog, as you said, 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, they're in Philly. And, you know, the thing is, this is the title says it's animals saving people's lives, saving them from life-threatening situations, um, and it's all caught on camera. And that's what makes this show special is because in the day and age we live in, there's cameras everywhere. So sometimes it's a, a city camera on a street corner, sometimes it's a cell phone camera, or maybe just someone's ring camera on their doorbell to catch what goes on in the street. But it, it's literally rescuing people or saving them from situations where one, a woman has a stroke on the street, her dog gets out of the car, goes to get help. We have another one where a man you know, jumps into the San Francisco Bay, breaks his back, and is drowning because he can't keep himself afloat. And a sea lion, which, you know, sea lions are usually nasty, (laughs) mean creatures, but this one came up and kept him afloat. He said for a good five minutes until the Coast Guard came and was able to rescue him out of the water. We have a bird that woke up a family that didn't have an alarm in the middle of the night. They had a fire in their basement in an area they, you know, couldn't see, got him out of the house, and the house got engulfed in flames. But you get to see all the actual footage of this while the people tell the story. And so it's more than just hearsay or more than just, uh, okay, here's a tale about it. You get to see the actual rescues happening. That's really cool. Kurt Menefee, thank you so much for taking time. Congratulations on the next season's coming up and the debut of Animal Save My Life. And God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. It's Fox NFL Sunday host Kurt Menefee. He's been doing that for a lot of years with Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Tony Gonzalez, and Michael Strahan, part of that as well. And, uh, the, again, the shows are tonight, America's Top Dog at 8 on A&E, followed by An Animal, an animal Save My Life at 9. They're going to have back-to-back episodes going on this evening. Quick break, and then Attorney Jim Radmore joining our fine broadcast. Don't forget, you want to text in, win a free gift card to Duncan, Panera, Rita's, or Wawa. We got that going today with the heat. $5.60, enough to get a water ice or a nice drink and a snack, something like that. Courtesy of Briner Chevrolet in Jenkintown. Our, toll, our, our text line, I should say, is 610-500-DUB. 610-500-DUB. 
3683. Back with more in just a moment in WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL. It's The Tim DeMoss Show. Very glad to bring on board a longtime friend. And you've heard, you've heard his voice, and you've heard his commercials on the radio station for years. Attorney Jim Radboard joining us. Hello, sir. How's it going? Good. How are you, Tim? Wonderful. It's really a privilege to get to have you on the program today. Thanks for taking a little time. I don't know if it's a privilege, but I'm happy <laughs> to talk to you. Well, you know, share a little bit, just a little backstory. Uh, share how God got a hold of you, or you know, your, your walk with the Lord, and and how that came about. Younger in life, a little later on, or how that come about. Sure. My father was a uh, went into the Marine Corps when he was uh, 17 and met my mom when they came back from Korea at a USO dance. She was a believer, and they had a uh, six-week courtship. They got married, and I was born 11 months later. Wow. I, I make sure I count the days. <laughs> and they were... Um, Kind of a funny story. He told her that he was 24 when he was only 21. <laughs> and they got married before he turned 21. And he had one of his Marine Corps buddies, because after he left Korea, he was stationed at the Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, banging on the, they lived on a trailer, and a trailer at Medford Lakes, and he was banging on the door. But, you know, we, we want Jim to come out. And she said, you guys be quiet. The baby's sleeping, which was me. Yeah. He said, no, come on. We got to let him out. It's his 21st birthday. She said, what do you mean 21st birthday? He's 24 years old. And that's when she found out how old he was. That's crazy. So he, so I think that's when he became a believer yeah. because it was his choice. He either had to become a believer or had to find another trailer to live in. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's very funny. So I was raised in the church, and we were stationed in Washington. From here, we went to London, and we were in London until I was five, I guess, six. And I became a believer when I was five, when we came back to the States and were stationed in Washington, D.C. That's pretty neat. So it made sense to you, I mean, as much as you can know when you're five and as you grew, because sometimes I'll hear folks who grew up in the church, but it didn't kind of really make enough sense till later, you know, or high school or teen or college or whatever it might be. But did it seem to be a natural process for you growing up? Well, it was a natural process because we were very kind of almost like a cloistered family because after uh, that we stationed in Dover, Delaware, and then we went to Iran and we lived there for four years. And um, my father never liked living on the military bases, so we always lived where the let's put it, civilians lived. So we lived on a block that we were the only Americans. They, called, they were called Coochies. That's what they were on, or Farsi, that means street. Okay. And they found a very fundamental church in Iran that was English, of course. It was all either military or oil company people. Okay. And then from there, we uh, 
were stationed in SAC Air Command at uh, Barstale Air Force Base in uh, we switched from the Marine Corps to the Air Force and was stationed in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. So we lived in Bossier City, Louisiana, the heart of the Bible Belt. Yeah. And we went to uh, Shady Grove Baptist Church. That's amazing. And that just just all these places it must have been quite a you know quite a life to grow up in that. Did you mind? I mean, or did you like the adventure of going all the, all these different places? You know, it, it was. I figured out really quick that if I could uh, make sure that whenever we were going to change the base that we were stationed at, I always volunteered to do my report after I knew we were going to be transferred. I actually thought it was a great life. Now, my brother and my sister, they hated it, but I, I thought it was great. I, I loved being a military brat. Folks, just tuning sure. in where chat with Jim Radmore, attorney Jim Radmore. You'll know his voice and commercials, uh, both, the, I think, the Mike Gallagher endorsement when he talks about the case before the Supreme Court. And a year at, I know, at least one of them over the years has talked about the auto uh, uh, accident guide that's free. People can call in for. When did you first get interested in, in the you know becoming a lawyer at all? And has it been the same field for you since the start or did you start more broad and then kind of narrow it? If you look at my high school yearbook from Parkway High School in Bossier City, yeah. it basically said, um, everybody said the same thing, we'll see you on TV. They all thought I was going to be a, a comedian on TV. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the whole yearbook. That's all the yearbook is. Or, we're surprised you didn't get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond those two things. And then they... Um, so I, I, after I graduated from um, Messiah College, I worked for uh, Burroughs, which was like the, the second biggest um, computer company next to uh, IBM back in the 70s. Okay. And there was an economic um, turndown, like eventually we're going to see as cycles happen. Sure. And that's when I went to law school. It was either that or I had a job sweeping up in a um, truck yard. So I decided to go to law school then. What did you go to school for, Messiah? Accounting. And I've never balanced a checkbook in my whole <laughs> life. I, ha- I hated it. So we won't use it as we won't use this in a, in a Messiah commercial. Let's put it that way. Like no, a, <laughs> no, not that I hated Messiah. I hated accounting. <laughs> no, right. I'm kidding. I, I couldn't, it was too precise for me. Yeah. But being a uh, lawyer, I would think you would that attention to detail would be important as it as it turned uh, out. No, it's the perception of having attention to detail that's important. Okay. When you say, you know, perception, I could see how knowing how to present yourself carries I'm sure it carries a ton of weight uh, in, in in every facet of any kind of case from get from the beginning to the end. So that's certainly No, it it really does. And I'm not obviously demeaning salesman by any stretch of the imagination, but um, to be successful in any business, you have to sell yourself. Sure. And that really is, you know, I tell clients that this is not my case. I'm just the lawyer. And the lawyer is not what's important in any case. It's the client. Because... Juries don't give money to lawyers. They give money to clients. Mm. It doesn't matter what I say. In fact, the last K 
case I tried before the pandemic, one of the court staff said, if this jury gets any money, it's going to be because they like you, because they can't stand your client. <laughs> and I lost. So wow. that's, it is perception, but it isn't really perception of lawyers. We're just a, a tool. I think a lot of lawyers put themselves in a position that they can uh, alchemist but that's not really how it works. Attorney Jim Radmore is our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show. Quick break. We keep our conversation rolling. Listen to the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL.com, and on the app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It's 426 in the Tim DeMoss Show. We'll say every now and again that uh, we love this program to hopefully be a help to you. And the best way we can help people is to point you to the Lord and to a saving knowledge of, of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, but there are other ways we can help you, too, including good information. It just helps you understand the world around you better or get some good insight and advice. And Attorney Jim Radmore has been advertising the radio station for a lot of years. And I thought, you know, it'd be great just to have a chance to hear more than the 60 seconds of a given commercial. And so along those lines, Jim, maybe uh, just take t- time to help people think ahead, because, you know, an accident hopefully doesn't happen very often, if at all. There are other things that pop up where in the moment you're not thinking about what do I need to do. Uh, so just I'm sure about how people could proactively take some time ahead, you know, of, of an event and be thinking about what do I do and then don't have time go by instead. It's probably best to answer that question in telling war stories. Okay. And so... Um, Remember, the insurance company's business model is to get as much as the insurance commission will permit in premiums and pay out as little as possible. So they're ready right away all the time. So I will get a lot of uh, people that will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not the type of person that brings a claim or... I'm not going to sue anybody. And then I may hear from them two or three months later, and they said, you know, I I called you right after the accident occurred, and my shoulder was hurting. Uh, Now I need to have surgery on my shoulder. And I tell them this. I said, look, you just made your life much more difficult because you dealt with the defendant, the person that you're going to try to get to compensate you, their insurance company, and they've talked very nicely to you, and they've, if you ever call an insurance company and says this is recorded for customer service, well, that's a yeah. line of, as some of your um, listeners wouldn't like, malarkey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and they really want to make a log of you saying, I'm feeling fine. And I have, I can think of one client I'm thinking of right now, he lost both his legs and five fingers. And if you call him on the phone, you'd ask how you're doing. He said, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. But you put that in the auto world and somebody calls and you have a broken leg and they ask how are you doing? I'm, oh, I'm just doing fine. And that's been put on the computer. I spoke to Tim DeMoss, and he said, I'm doing just fine, even though you have a broken leg and you can't use your right arm. And 
then you decide down the road at some point in time, look, you know, this is really affecting my life. There's something that I need to do about this. Well, then you've given your adversary evidence against you because they've already said, well, you know, our adjuster spoke to Mr. DeMoss over this six-month period of time. He never complained about his shoulder once to them. And then you end up you can't uh, you end up having shoulder surgery and you can't use your arm the way you did before. But they have a, a log of you saying for six months, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling fine because that's how we talk because we're kind of trained that nobody really cares. So you just say I'm doing okay. So it's interesting is the the work that you you mean you're dealing. First and foremost, primarily, it's personal injury, right? So that could come from any a car accident. It could be motorcycle accident or some kind of, I think one of the commercials you've had talked about nursing home abuse. So they can come from different angles, product liability. But they're things that may only happen very infrequently. But when they do, you have to know, I'm, just, I'm thinking this prep ahead of time mindset, how people can like, okay, I know what to do right off the bat. I mean, they may hopefully at least have the wherewithal to give you a call before much time goes by because otherwise, well, right. Or I think part of one of our ads says something that doesn't cost anything to call. That's really important. And I have to be careful because I, I don't want to talk about anybody particular sure. situation that would really come out, sure. but nobody has any expectation of what's going to uh, look. We're not promised to be able to walk across the street and not get hit by a set the bus. Yeah and killed. And so you really have to know what you're going to do when something happens. And the first person that's going to always reach out to you on the other side, whether it's a claims adjuster for an auto carrier or it could be risk management or if they're self-insured, it could be somebody who handles claims for a trucking company or, or they have risk management companies that they contract out to do that that their interest isn't in you being fairly compensated. Their interest is in trying to get you to sign on the dotted line as soon as possible so they don't um, have to fully compensate you. As I said before, you know, the business model and risk management, whether it's motorcycles or nursing homes, and nursing homes are a, a lot of people think of nursing homes as a uh, an offshoot of a charitable business, but they really aren't. A vast percentage of nursing homes are owned by big corporations, and so you have you know your parent who took care of you their whole life, and if it comes a point in time where they can't take care of themselves and they have to be put into a nursing home, they're really taken care of by the lowest paid employee a corporation which owns a nursing home can find to do a very, very difficult and unpleasant job at minimal pay. My mother's a nurse. and There was a time when nurses provided most of the care to patients. Now it's, especially nursing homes, now it's all CNAs, and there's nothing wrong with a CNA because they can really do a yeoman's job, but they just spread too thin because it's not taking care of a patient. It's how much profit I can make off of that patient. That's what it's all about. 
Folks tuning in, we'll chat with Attorney Jim Radmore. Uh, I have my numbers correctly because there are a couple that do float on the air. 1-800-RADMORE, can that work? Is it as good as any, or is there a better one people can call if they want to? Well, no, that's fine. Or we also have 215-339-8000 okay. if they can't remember the, yes. the Radmore. Yeah, or they don't want to have to figure out how to spell. What is R going away? Where's the A? Yeah, so either either one, 1-800-RADMORE or 215-339-8000. I wanted to kind of encapsulate this for folks. So if folks are listening, whether it's, uh, we mentioned different type of vehicle accidents, nursing home abuse, or even if you're thinking about that, that might be the case, could be construction, could be truck, could be brain injuries, wrongful death, the whole gamut. Even the concept of suspecting there might, like, better safe to just call and say, this is what happened, what do you think? Just to give themselves the benefit of the doubt. It sounds like some folks don't even allow themselves to think, maybe maybe I should have been taking better care of at my job. Maybe I shouldn't have had to experience that. I'm not sure. Rather than just let time pass by, if, if you had your way and could reach through the radio to those who are listening and say, listen, here are a few basic things to keep in mind as you go about your life. And here's what I would recommend you do for starters, just so they have context for these tra- potentially traumatic events that happen or mildly traumatic. What, what would you say to those who are listening along those lines? Well, I, I think one, one of the first things that everybody has to remember in, in most circumstances is that there's ways that there's evidence. You know, we were talking, spent a lot of time talking about nursing homes, and, and nursing homes have security cameras. If you don't ask them to save the footage of what occurred, you're never going to know if it turns out I've had, you know, cases where uh, people have said, you know, my mother kept telling me they dropped her and, you know, her leg hurts. And I would go to the nurse's station and ask them about it. And they say, no, her, she never, nothing like that ever happened. And over a two or three day period, kept complaining about her leg hurting. Um, it turns out that when they finally insisted that she be taken to the hospital, she has um, a broken leg, but she had, because of the fall, developed a uh, embolism, traveled to her heart, and she died mm. two days later. Now, the evidence, they, they wouldn't turn that over. You have to fight for that evidence. In fact, the person who had helped her up had been fired and had been reprimanded. Actually, they had reported her to the uh, state board, the facility itself had, but they weren't going to volunteer any of that information to the uh, woman's family. Sure. And, you know, uh, there's so much technology um, out there that every car has technology involved. You know, somebody hits you with their car, maybe they have OnStar. Maybe they have their Google Maps on or they have something that's on the uh, in their car. That kind of evidence that can be important, especially when there's disputed liability. And even when there's not disputed liability, sometimes one of the insurance companies' uh, big defenses is, well, look at this car. It doesn't look that damaged. But then you look underneath the car, and you'll have crash brackets that are there to, when they attach the uh, bumper to the uh, right. frame of the car, they can be bent, 
doesn't look like anything, but it takes a heck of a lot of a hit right. when you have steel bent. But the picture of the car from the outside doesn't show what happened inside. And if it can bend steel, it can do a lot to a person's body. Hmm. So it's really that investigative um, portion of a claim that you lose by saying, uh, I'm just going to see how I'm going to feel in a couple of days. And then it ends up a couple of weeks and a couple of months. And then you've really put yourself in a position where there's no evidence left. Do you, do you find that sometimes it's just a matter of, uh, in some cases, people are just like, maybe they're not trying to be lazy or anything or, or like, like that, but they're, it's just maybe weeks later, something's dawning on them that maybe a situation shouldn't have been there in the first place, or maybe they overheard something when the dust settles from an accident. They're like, now that I think about it, and, and then they kind of come to you a lot later. Well, that happens all the time. I, I mean, we really have to remember that, I mean, if you look at Philadelphia, there's a couple hospitals that are buying up all of the other hospitals. They're big corporations. They're very sophisticated in, in what they do. And I, I always find it very interesting that um, patients now for the hospital have what your patient portal so yeah. you can look up your own records, and if you have your your loved one that passed away, you can look up their records in the patient portal. But the patient portal isn't the actual chart. The patient portal may make everything look like it was done uh, correctly, hmm. but then you actually go look at the chart, and that's where you find where something may not have been done appropriately. Yeah and that there had been what's called in the malpractice field a breach of the standard of care. And you don't see that from looking at the portal. And doctors are very uh, remiss at criticizing other doctors. Uh, just on a, a personal note, I, I don't even know why I'm saying this to you, Tim, but I'm gonna, I, I will tell you I had a son who on May the 8th, 2018 collapsed from a cardiac arrest and he had been born with a congenital heart defect he had a couple heart surgeries and he just had actually the two days before it run the philadelphia broad street run and um, got to the hospital and he um aspirated at one point in time and aspiration means where something goes into your lungs, you, you aspirate it into your lungs. And the doctor said to me, um, well, that probably happened day of the event. Something got into his lungs, and that's when the aspiration occurred. And during the run? It. You mean during the run, like two days before? No, during, no, during, the, during the, the, uh, when he had his cardiac arrest Okay. after they brought him back. Yeah. And I said to the doctor, no, it didn't. It happened on... Thursday at 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, well, how do you know that? And I said, because I go to Grand Rounds every morning when he was at the hospital. And Grand Rounds are where they teaching the students, the residents, and the interns uh, go and report on the patients um, what occurred the night before to whoever their particular, whatever field they're in, their uh, Usually it's to the fellow, but sometimes it's to the attending. 
yeah. uh, doctor. And um, I said, no, they said he aspirated when they told the time and I heard the whole report. And after then, I never saw that doctor again and never did grand rounds when I was, ar- when I was around. Wow. And they, and, um, they had, uh, on another occasion, he, because he aspirated, he had uh, developed pneumonia, lung, and, and they had him on, um, they kept saying they were going to culture out. They couldn't culture out anything, and there's some technical terms where there's a bacteria is gram-negative or positive, and they, they want to see what kind of antibiotic they're going to put him on, and they kept saying, well, we we're not culturing anything out. We're not culturing anything out. And I said, well, that's not good enough. I, I want him to be on something, pro- at least prophylactically. And they said, no, we're not going to put him on anything prophylactically. So I came back and I did some research and I found some peer review articles. And I went to the hospital and I said, look, here's the peer review articles. I want him on an antibiotic. And so they put him on an antibiotic. And, and the whole, and there were a couple circumstances like that. But the point of the story is, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but there was a change in rotations. And one of the doctors, I was sitting downstairs in the cafeteria with my wife at lunch, and it was the end of the rotation for this particular doctor. Was, he was going off to uh, another hospital, and he came up and he said, I just wanted you to know you saved your son's life. And so wow. it, it, it's important to be proactive. And, and you know, if anybody, if, if, if there really is anything, quite frankly, Tim, that I would tell people to take away from this conversation is anytime you're dealing with a medical provider or anybody, um, a nursing home or, or a hospital, somebody always needs an advocate because the the person that is, whether they're elderly or they're sick or they're injured, they can't advocate for themselves. Yeah. And it's important for a parent or a child to make sure that what's they think is being done is being done. When you look at a brochure at a nursing home, it looks like you're uh, retiring to uh, you're 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 going to heaven early for uh, $8,000 a month. Right. But it never turns out that way. And so it's important for people to and and they need to advocate for themselves. Look, uh, my lowest grade in high school was in shop. I could I could not use a saw and do a straight line. I just could not do a straight line. Join the club. Um, well, but there's other things, but I did very well in speech. And so there, there are things we all have gifts and we all have deficiencies. And so we have to work towards our gifts and beware of our efficient, uh, our deficiencies. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times People don't want to admit that they have things that they don't, they just don't know. I know as I got older, I realized that I, there's a lot more that I don't know than I do. And so it's important when you're dealing with sophisticated 
corporations and in any time somebody has an injury the on the other side they're sophisticated corporations and they have a system set up to make sure that they stay sophisticated you just the average person just doesn't have the knowledge sure to take them on and they wouldn't you wouldn't expect somebody to have the knowledge to take them on because that's not nobody takes a uh, a class in high school or college about how to deal with a automobile insurance carrier at least, at least when I went to high school or college, there was no such uh, yeah. there wasn't a course like that, and so it's those what can be a life changing event, a serious life changing event can occur, and all of a sudden you're out there by yourself and you really don't know what to do. That's the time you need to call somebody. Attorney Jim Radmore, guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, and uh, WFL.com on the app as well. Do you focus on settling, Jim, if you can, ahead of time? Do you find that even to be a preferred way of doing things compared to going to trial? Oh, it's always preferred preferred to resolve it if you can. In fact, statistically, I had filed last year what's called a... uh, Petition for writ of certiorari before the U.S. Supreme Court on it. It was actually a malpractice case, which the federal courts really don't like personal injury cases anyway. And the statistics, the latest statistics were that less than 0.003% of all cases actually go to trial wow. um, in the federal system, civil cases go to trial. Yeah. Out of okay. 200 and some thousand that are filed nationwide just in federal court in that particular year, a very, very small percentage go to trial. Because if you have a, a bad case, I don't want to take it to trial. And if you have a good case, then the insurance company or the corporation doesn't want to take it to trial. It's those cases where um, you just can't agree on what the facts are. Most cases require a certain amount of uh, preparation. And, um, you know, just even getting uh, medical records from um, medical providers in automobile accidents or any any kind of case case might be. I have somebody that full-time, her whole job is just getting um, medical records. It it really isn't... um, something that you want to get into a, a, a battle with by yourself. Jim Radmore, been kind enough to hang out with us this afternoon. I have two last questions for you. I have to ask one because it comes up in the commercial all the time, Mike Gallagher specifically talking about winning the case at the Supreme Court. Share just a little bit about that experience, what it was like for you to, to, to be involved with that and certainly to win a case. That's pretty cool. Well, I, I, I'm just trying to think that the best way to put this. Yeah. Before I got to that point, I had lost in front of the district court, which is the trial court in the federal system, and then I had lost in front of the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and I had lost my um, my uh, petition for re-argument or asking for an en banc panel, which is a, a panel of the whole uh, Third Circuit, and I'd lost that. 
and um, the statistics are most years there's seven to eight thousand petitions for writ of certiorari that are filed uh, with the Supreme Court, and they take 60 cases a year. So the the expectation, actually, um, if anybody calls, they'll, I'm sure at some point in time they'll speak to Melissa, who's been with me for 33 years. Wow. I'll tell her about a circumstance, and she'll say, uh, that's the kind of case you'll, you'll take. And so what she means by that is, You'll take it, but not everybody else would, hmm. in, in a, a nice way is what she's trying to say. Yeah. And, and so, um, but we fight it to the end. So they, they when they uh, granted my petition for writ of certiorari, I had a lot of big firm lawyers, from, mostly from Washington, D.C., call and say, look, we'll do the case for free. Just let us take the case, um, and we have the experience, you don't know what you're doing, so we'll do it for free because it's a real feather in in a lawyer's, not many lawyers. In fact, besides me, I'm the only lawyer I know that's ever argued a case before the Supreme Court. In, in like the tri-state area, you mean, or? That I personally know. That you know, okay, and you've been doing this for that 39 I years. Know. Wow. A- a- anywhere. I actually... If I'm going to give a plug, if anybody wants to hear the argument, they can actually listen to it. You put in your computer, O-Y-E, O-Y-E-Z, which is what the court crier says, O-Y-E, O-Y-E, and that's how it's spelled. And you put in my name with that, and the the argument actually comes up on the – you can actually listen to the argument on the the, uh, computer. But when – so when they took a case – I went to a seminar about how to argue uh, cases before the Supreme Court, and they, the speaker was a uh, lawyer who had argued 14 cases before the Supreme Court, and those are usually uh, people who work for the government that have argued the cases because that's where most of the cases that the, the court hears come from, or the government has an interest in. And um, it turns out that she was actually the person arguing the case against me. Um, and I didn't find that out until I got down there. But it was it was the first time in 50 years, I think, at that time, that, and I don't think it's happened since, that the uh, Supreme Court actually expanded the rights of individuals under the Federal Court Claims Act. Just doesn't happen uh, that often. What was what was the topic of the case? In, uh... Well, it, it, the 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 topic of the case was whether or not you could even sue the government. The government has protections under the Federal Tort Claims Act, and they can only be sued if they give you permission to sue them. Um, and that was back in the '40s. That was actually uh, when the law was enacted. And if it were enacted today, there would be nothing on there. They wouldn't let you sue them for anything. So it was an interpretation of the Federal Tort Claims Act. When they took it, I thought, oh, I don't, want, I really don't want to do this. It's going to take too much time. But it was a uh, very exhilarating ex- experience once it, uh, once the argument began. And it, and what was very interesting was that the um, 
men and women that are on the Supreme Court, when you argue a case before them, you, you think of them uh, being up there in their regal robes, but the Supreme Court is not a very big uh, room, and you're right there. They're really <laughs> almost talking to you and asking you questions. And I think it would have been very surreal to, to me in a way, but did you find it to, like, you know, they, they say, like, are you watching the World Series or something or a championship game? They tell The athletes say, we do what we can to slow the game down so it becomes like a normal game for us so we don't have the adrenaline build too much and then we, we swing at pitches we don't want to swing at, we throw the ball away or whatever. Did you have to, you know, kind of get planted? And... Uh, actually, it's, it's interesting that you say that. They have, at the Georgetown University, they have it's called the Supreme Court Project, and, and they, I think that's still the name, I don't know things change so quickly, where they have a, a, a mock Supreme Court and they have professors uh, pretending as if they are uh, Supreme Court justices and asking you questions. And I had done a couple uh, mock M-O-C-K trials or arguments in front of them. And the last one I had done was like a week before the argument was going to occur. And they asked me questions and I said, they were just so nuanced, and I had a practice to run, and I had five kids. I had a family to support and employees to pay, so I couldn't focus my whole life on this one one particular case. So I decided, look, I'm just going to be myself. And I, all the big binders I had that I would take on the train when I would go down to Washington, I just put them to the side and said, I'm just not going to think about this anymore for the next 10 days, and I didn't. And so when I went in, I hadn't really thought about it for 10 days. Uh, the night before um, it happened, we got a hotel and all, and walked up to the Supreme Court with the lights and walked around the city, and then I just like let it go. It just um, flowed. Wow. You know, told a couple jokes. And um, not like not like the three stooges, right? Like, hey, Judgey Wudgy, I'm thinking like, <laughs> no, 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 not that. But <laughs> think of the curly. You know, some, sometimes drop the, the vernacular. It, it really is. <laughs> have you ever seen I that? I say jokes. I want to say jokes. You have to showed your sense of humor. Yeah, I think humor is the highest. Of course, I think this way because that's. I would think this way. Anybody that knows me would know why I'm saying this. I think that humor is the highest form of intellect. And it made me uh, feel comfortable. And when members of the Supreme Court get your humor and laugh back at you, whether it's at you or you don't know if they're laughing at you or with you, but it gives you a certain sense of uh, confidence and, and you feel some familiarity. So once it started... It just flowed, come through away all the books and just answered the questions. Yeah, that's great. Attorney Jim Radmore been our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL, 1-800-RADMORE or 215 uh, 215-339-8000 or The auto uh, accident guide, people can request one of those. And I, the other last question I had was simply an aspect or two of you and the firm that you really feel stands out as to why someone would feel good about calling, uh, maybe even compared to, you know, not it doesn't have to be comparing to others, but maybe something that you can put in the foreground. So this is what you'll get 
that I really think you'll appreciate if you give us a call. That's really a hard question to answer. There's a lot of good lawyers out there, and I'm not one to um, yeah, right. put down another lawyer for my benefit. But remember, you don't pay us unless you win, and so you all – you always get what you pay for. But <laughs> <laughs> you're guaranteed to get what you pay for. Well, but, yeah. but, but, but I, I can't think of this any other way, but um, my son that I spoke about earlier, when we used to play uh, football in the backyard, he was he had a, his brother and him were about the same size. But he would grab you around the leg, and he was like a staple, and he, he just wouldn't let go. Hmm. And that's kind of what we do. We just don't let go. And, hmm. you know, we're going to take it as far as we have to, yeah. and as far as far as we can. I love it. I love it. That's great. We are out of time. Uh, show just flying by. Attorney Jim Radmore, been advertising on WFIL for years. Thought it'd be great for folks to get to know him better. And maybe learn some good information along the way, too. We'll get the podcast up a little bit later on so you can listen through all the things that we've been chatting about this afternoon. One more time, the number is 800-RADMORE, 1-800-RADMORE, or you can call 215-339-8000, 215-339-8000, website, philadelphiainjurylaw.com. One last number for you, 610-500-DOVE. That's our text line. You want to get a gift card real quick before the end of the show? We're giving those away as well, courtesy of our Show sponsor, Briner Chevrolet, 610-500-3683. Thanks for listening in. Looking forward to doing the program again tomorrow, Lord willing. Feel free to download the podcast from our site and or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.